Turn to First Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at several verses this morning, and I'll do my best to breeze through them, but also um, help you to, um, to learn from this. And uh, with the hope and the intention of glorifying Christ by your submission to Him. I want to remind you, as Peter told us last week, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, a people belonging to Jesus, a people owned by Him. He is our Lord. He has bought us with His blood, with His sacrifice. And so we belong. We belong to Him. He owns us. He is the owner of our life. He is master. He is Lord. He is king over us. And so with that, we talked a little bit last week about how we are this royal priesthood and the things that he's called us to do. And how we're to conduct our lives as these royal exiles, these royal priests who have been exiled from this world but belonging to a greater world, a one that has been purchased completely by, by Jesus. And in that, I want to remind you of three little things uh, as royal exiles, as royal priests, to remind you. These started back with Adam in the garden and continued throughout and is still continuing today. The people belonging to God, whether it was Adam in the beginning or the priest in the Old Testament or Jesus or ourselves today, as royal priests, we are to be doing three things. We are to be image bearers of Jesus, that he has bought us, and so we're identified with him. We are his image bearers. Um, as Adam was created to be an image in, in the image of God, we also created and then recreated in Jesus to, to bear image of Jesus. We are also to be expanding or cultivating or witnessing, uh, expanding the kingdom. The kingdom of God. We belong to him. And so we are to be cultivating a life, witnessing, expanding um, what God has, has done or is doing. And then we're also to be like priests, guarding and protecting and consecrating what is holy. It's why Peter goes often and talks about this often in this letter to these Christians, reminding them about their holy life. Christ has set us apart. He has made us holy. It's not our job to set ourselves apart, but we are to recognize what Christ has done, that he has set us apart, and then we're to remain walking in holiness. And it's why he says things like, abstain from the evil desires that war against your, uh, against your flesh. Don't put on those things. Instead, put on the righteousness of Christ, walk in that, and put, uh, take away or leave off those things like deceit and hypocrisy and slander, all the sin of this world. Take those things off, put on Christ, and walk in holiness. And so we're to continue that. And so as we look through these next uh, couple of sections, which actually are, are, you, you probably will wrestle with or you have been wrestling with your entire life, the word submission. Who am I willing to submit to? Am I willing to submit to the emperor? Am I willing to submit to the president, to the governor? Am I willing to submit to my spouse? Am I willing to submit to a pastor? Am I willing to submit to uh, whoever is brought up in these passages? Are we willing to submit as a child to our, to our parents? Are we willing to do that, to be subject to, to be submissive to someone? We all wrestle with that. We see it every day. Unless you have a dog, and then you know your dog will submit to you. But if you have a cat... It should remind you of sin and Satan. <laughs> and like Jesus did to sin and Satan, so we also. <laughs> verse 13, verse 13 of chapter 2 says this. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Be submissive for the Lord's sake. So the answer to the question why, why should you be submissive, submissive or why should you be subject, subject to someone is for the Lord's sake. And I know it's Sunday morning and some of you just came out of Sunday school and the answer is always Jesus. 
But can I remind you that the answer is always Jesus. If you have any thoughts or feelings towards the answer being something else, read your Bible. Like John Chris says, check your heart. Look to Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who ultimately is who we are in submission to, and we are to glorify. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What does that mean? What are the ordained human institutions of our world? Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. A little history reminder. We've talked about this several times already. But Peter is talking in context here. The emperor is Nero. He's the Roman emperor. And Nero hated Christians. He was a, a ruler who hated Christians. He needed someone to blame for evil in the world. And so he blamed, he blamed Christians. And he burned them. He burned them. In fact, Peter, as he's writing this, I wonder if he's even wrestling with this. Like I'm writing this as the Holy Spirit is leading me to write, write this. But the emperor is Nero. And he doesn't like me. He hates me. And then as history goes on, we know that Peter was martyred for his faith in Jesus, burned at the stake by Nero. And so there's a, a, a really a, a kind of this thought of, Peter, what are you talking about? You're wanting us to be subject or submissive to the emperor? And the emperor of our time is wanting to kill us? Why would we submit to someone like that? Or to the governors who are coming who have been sent by him to represent him? Like these royal priests or these, these ambassadors being sent by this evil emperor who's wanting to come and lay down the law and kill us for our faith in Jesus, our persecutors for our faith in Jesus. And Peter, you're telling us to be submissive to them? Some of you have serious relationships now where someone has told you to be submissive, whether it's work-related whether it's government-related, whether it's home-related, whether it's parent-related, whatever the case may be, we, we wrestle with that. To the point of death, maybe? Maybe. I don't know what's going on in your home and your life. But think about what, what Peter is urging the Christians to do, to be submissive. Why? For the Lord's sake. Be submissive for the Lord's sake. Verse 15, he goes on to say, for this is the will of God. Have any of you wrestled any, at any portion of your life to understand the will of God? Are you wrestling now or this past week to understand what the will of the Lord is for your life? Start with these simple things where it says in Scripture what the will of God is. That we would be submissive, that we would live lives for the Lord's sake. For this is the will of, of, of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter's not urging the Christians here, the exiles here, the sojourners here, the pilgrims, to stand up and yell back at the emperor. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know what you're doing. You're foolish. But instead, he's saying in submission, you're going to do good and put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Yes, I've mentioned to you Nero, but do we know any of the governors that were sent by Nero? We know one name from history, but how many people have been influenced by the words and the life of Peter? Because Christ using him. Christ empowering Peter to be submissive even to the emperor Nero. And look what his life 
has done to the glory of Jesus. And so yours too, yours too, in submission to the Lord, can be used for the Lord's glory. Your, your life being used to lift up the name of Jesus and carry on the mission of Christ. Think about what Paul has said in Philippians chapter 2, and oh, that we all should, should have this as an attitude. If there were any encouragement to be found in our world today, it would be this, Paul says, that we would all have the mind of Christ. What was his mindset like? What does Paul tell us? Well, he humbled himself. He considered others better than himself. He submitted himself. He didn't count equality with God as something to be held onto or to be grasped, but instead he lowered himself, taking the form of a servant and serving those who were in desperate need. And I wonder just this past week, did you put that into practice? Christian, saint, were you a person who said, I will submit my life to the Lordship of Christ and take on the attitude of Jesus? Being subject or submissive for a Christian should ultimately define not who you are. Like we're not allowing submission or being subject to someone to define who I am, but instead we are allowing subjection and submission to define who the great I am is. We are submitting for the Lord's sake. Not for our own sake, but for the Lord's sake. Again, Peter, his submission to the emperor led to his death. It led to his martyrdom. Who receives glory in that? Nero? Nero thought so. He thought, I will receive glory for killing Peter. But little did Nero know or believe Christ has won the victory. Christ has won the battle. And though Peter may have been burned at the stake, his legacy in Christ lives on. Christ lives on. He is our living hope. Verse 16 says this, live as people who are free. Peter, you just told us to submit ourselves. That doesn't sound like freedom. Next week we'll talk about this. But wives, when you read the Bible and it says to submit to your husband, how many of you first thought, your first thoughts are, I would love to submit to my husband because it sounds a lot like freedom. Not many people think that. And even in this case, when we think about submitting our lives to Nero or to government officials, or in a second here as slaves to their master, we're not thinking about freedom. Instead, we, we often turn our minds towards bondage, towards oppression. And we want to be delivered from that. And yet Peter is saying, in what the world sees as oppression or bondage, I see as liberty from Jesus. To live a free life, not fearing man, but instead only fearing God. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Though we may have a Nero to submit to, ultimately we are fearing God. And we are serving God. And in my submission to Nero, I'm serving Jesus for the Lord's sake. Not because of oppression or bondage, but all because, but all because of, of Jesus. Uh, as I walked by Sunday school this morning, I heard uh, one of our teachers t- teaching about Joseph from the Old Testament in a similar scenario, full of slavery and bondage, yet using what the Lord has Uh, the situation that the Lord has given him to honor God instead of himself or anyone anyone else. And God lifted him up in a sense. And so today, even with our submission to the Lord, for the Lord's sake, we also, to the glory of Christ, we lift up Christ in our submission 
as sojourning submitters, if that's proper English. And I don't think it is, MJ. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Christ is the one who has set us free. And because of that, we live for him and him alone. John 8.36 says this, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Peter heard those words, and those words are resonating in his mind, echoing through his mind as he's submitting to Nero, even to the point of death. He's hearing the words of Jesus, echoing, echoing in his mind. If the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. The only way that he could face the persecution and the suffering that he was going through, or any Christian for that matter, is if we let those words echo through our lives, resonate through our lives. So if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. Many of us long for, though, Nero, I will submit to you. Master, I will submit to you because I'm hoping that, Nero, you will set me free. Nero, oh, you've been placed in this position. Please, Nero, like see my good works and set me free. Peter doesn't say that. He knows who has set him free. He knows who will set everyone free. And so he doesn't wrestle with Nero, but instead he reminds himself, and in a sense, like we say often, he preaches the gospel to himself, and he says, if the Son has set you free, you will be free indeed. I'm free in Christ, and so you can be also. I'm not submitting to earthly authorities because, because I'm free, I'm fearful of what might happen to my soul. Instead, I fear God because he's the one that has set me free. He has all authority, and he determines everything about me. Luke 12. Verses 4 through 7. I tell you, my friends, do not, these are Jesus' words. Do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom, you whom you shall fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. That's who we should fear. And who is that? Who has all authority? It is God. And he's given that all, all that authority to our living hope, Jesus. And so we submit our lives to him, not fearful of man or anything of this world, but instead fearing the Lord and the Lord alone. Verse 16 again, live as, as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. In verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Moving on to verse 18, servants. Now we get to this point about slaves. Peter is talking about a grand scheme of things, a big picture of things, living lives in submission to government authorities, those who we feel like earthly are, are completely over us, and then moving down into a more personal level, level. And he begins with slaves, servants. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. When Peter uses the word respect, it's the word phobos, which you probably know this word. It's the Greek word where uh, the root of all phobias, all the, the phobias that we have, all the fears that we have, that's that Greek word phobos. So Peter is saying, servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It's a respectful fear. It's an understanding, but it is not the same fear that we show to God. Instead, we see that we have a healthy respect. That's why it's translated into the word respect. We have a healthy respect for those who are above us, for our bosses, the ones that um, control, that we feel like might control our everyday life. We have to have a healthy respect for our master. 
Why is this? Why do we have to do this? Why do we, why do we show a healthy respect or fear for our earthly masters? Just for the sake of being good? Just so that we can have a good reputation? Why do we show respect to the good and the gentle um, masters, but also to the unjust? And verse 19 tells us, it says this, For this is a gracious thing. A gracious thing. Peter is saying that submission to your earthly masters is a gracious thing. When and only when you are mindful of God. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's a mindset thing. It's a motive thing. We are submitting with pure motives and our thoughts or our, or our mind is set upon God and God alone. Christ and Christ alone. One theologian says, It is not a stoic, self-motivated tenacity which holds out against all opposition, but rather it's the opposite. It's the trusting awareness of God's presence. We are trusting in a living God who has promised us His Holy Spirit. He has promised not to abandon us or leave us ever. And so with that, we can submit to earthly masters. Not fearing them as we fear God, but ultimately fearing God and trusting in His presence. The theologian goes on and says, uh, trusting awareness of God's presence and his never-failing care, which is the key to righteous suffering. If we have an understanding that the Son has set us free, and so we are free, if we have an understanding that Christ is alive, that he resurrected from the grave, if we have an understanding that the words that he said in Luke chapter 12 are true, and that God has ultimate say and ultimate authority, then we have fear of him and him alone. This is the key to righteous suffering. It is the confidence that God will ultimately right all wrongs which enables a Christian to submit to an unjust master without resentment, rebelliousness, self-pity, or despair. We don't want the actions of a sinner to determine the actions of a saint. Peter is saying, listen closely. Don't allow your earthly masters, if they're good and gentle or unjust, but they're also persecuting you and making you suffer. Don't let their actions lead you back into or steer you into sin so that you rebel, so that you respond with, with uh, criticism or sin, whatever the case may be. But instead, we respond like Christ responds. We submit like Christ submits. And we glorify Christ because we are trusting in the living hope. We are trusting in the risen Savior. We are trusting in that God's promises, He will keep them. He will not, he will not back down on them. And our confidence is in Him and Him alone. Verse 20, For what credit is it, Peter says, when you sin and are beaten for it and you endure? Who gets the glory? So you sinned and you're disciplined. Who gets the glory for this sin? Who gets the credit for it? Instead, we look and we, we go on. Peter goes on. He says, but if, you, but if when you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. When you sin and you suffer, the result is either going to be discipline or death. If you're a saint and you sin, you will be disciplined. The author of Hebrew tells us, the Father's going to discipline us. If you are a sinner who is yet to be saved by by Jesus, 
You don't just become disciplined, but instead, death awaits you. So when you sin and you suffer, the result is either discipline or death. But when you do good and you have been saved, and Peter says when you do good and you endure through the suffering, the result is the glorification of Christ. The glorification of Christ. Yes, he may lift you up in a moment, all for the glory, all for his for his sake. Verse 23, or sorry, verse, uh, verse 21, For this you have been called because... Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow him in his steps. Think through that. Peter is saying to these exiled Christians, to these sojourning submitters, you're going to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, the one who has saved you. You're going to follow in that. So when you face suffering this week and you wrestle with that and you say, Lord, why am I suffering? In that prayer, in that moment, Remember, you are following the steps of your suffering Savior. Here's the good news, though. Verse 22 says this. Jesus committed no sin. Jesus committed no sin. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges Justly, He continued to entrust himself to God. The word there, it's, this is key, I feel like. The word there means to hand over or deliver our life or something to someone else. Jesus committing his life, handing over his life to the Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I give you my life. I'm entrusting my life to you. How can you submit to an emperor Nero? How can you submit to an ungodly ungodly master? How can you be submissive to them? Well, you can only do that if you have been, have been, have, have been, and will continue to entrust your life, hand your life over to our living Savior. How is it that Jesus, when he was reviled, didn't revile back? Can I just give you some synonyms from revile? I almost said cinnamons because uh, one of our children likes to say cinnamon uh, instead of synonym or ask for synonym toast instead of cinnamon toast. Some synonyms for revile. Think through your life this past week. And I'm going to confess some sin here. Every one of these words that I'm about to say, I've done this week. Someone criticized me, so I criticized back. Someone scorned me, so I scorned back. Someone abused me, so I abused back. Someone blamed me, so I blamed back. Someone lambasted me, so I lambasted back. Someone reamed me out, so I reamed them out. Someone lectured me, so I lectured them. Someone reprimanded me, and so I reprimanded them. Jesus, when he was reviled, when he was criticized, scorned, abused, blamed, when he was reamed out, when he was raked over the coals, when he was suffering for us, he did not return those things. Why? Because he committed no sin. He committed no sin. Why? So that he would be a pure and holy and blameless sacrifice. So for a sinner like myself, who constantly sins, can be forgiven of my sins and clothed with his righteousness. So that I may be pure and holy in the sight and in the presence of the Lord. And so then... With the work of Jesus, what do I do? Lord, you know the work of Jesus. You saw his sacrifice. 
You felt the separation that happened while he took sin, my sin upon himself. And then he resurrected from the grave. And as he has caused rebirth in me, so I place my life, the life that you've purchased, nothing that I've done, but I place my life in willful submission to you every moment, all for your glory. Continually entrusting is the key. How can you submit, again, how can you submit to an ungodly Nero and be Peter? Let's submit to Nero, Christians. He's going to burn us. He's going to blame us. He's going to put evil upon us. But let's submit to him. Peter, how? Because we are entrusting our lives not in the hands of Nero, but instead in the hands of Jesus, our living, resurrected Savior. The same applies today. As things in Washington or Santa Fe or Austin or Washington State or Nepal or Canada or England or Afghanistan, any of those places, when it seems chaotic and it seems as if evil is ruling, we are not entrusting our lives to evil or to humans, but instead we are entrusting our lives to Jesus. And this week as you go to work, and maybe you have a terrible, terrible boss, and you feel like a slave, and you want to say so many things to that boss. You want to say so many things. You have a list of things to reprimand them on. Right, Zach? You have a list of things. You think, who am I entrusting my life to? Am I trusting my life to my boss? No. I'm trusting my life to Jesus. And so I submit to Jesus. And in submission to him, Lord, use me however it be. And if it means this ungodly evil boss is over me, and in submission to him, I can point him and I can be an image bearer of Christ, all for your glory, so, so be it. So be it. Because, can I just say this? Your reprimanding of your boss or your reprimanding of whoever the government official is, your lecturing of them will not save their soul. Only Jesus can do that. Jesus laid his life down in willful submission. For this very reason, the Father loves me. John 10. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This I charged, this charge I have received from my Father. He entrusted his life. He laid down his life, submitting ultimately to God, laying down his life and trusting his life to the Father. And I want to end with this. Turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Mark was hanging out with Peter as they were on mission as image bearers, as royal exiles, as sojourning submitters. And he wrote these words, and I may get extremely emotional, but I think about these two things going together. I think about Peter's zeal and his passion for Jesus, his love, his affection for Christ. Mark chapter 8, verse 27, And Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, 
and others one of the prophets, who, by the way, are all good people and all great leaders and all people to follow, but they're not the Messiah. They're not the Christ. They're not the one that we can have living hope in. And he said to them, he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you know, Peter, the one that we just read his letter, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. And then Jesus says something strange in verse 30. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. It's crazy, right? Let's read on. Verse 31. It seems as if Peter has submitted by saying that Jesus is the Christ. But then there's this moment. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. There was a long sentence there. Mark described a whole bunch of things. And Peter picked up on all those things at the beginning of that verse. And he left out the thing at the end. The elders are going to rebuke him and reject him. The chief priests, the scribes, they're going to kill him. And do you see the, the comma where the living hope comes into play? And after three days, rise again. Peter's learning at this moment. And thanks be to God, he learned so much and then wrote to us First Peter. And verse 32 says this, And he said this plainly. And Peter, he took him aside and he began to do what? To rebuke him. Lord, you shouldn't suffer. No one should kill you. There's no way you should walk in a life of suffering. If they try and kill you, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to, I'm going to stand in the place and I'm going to stop them from killing you. But turning and seeing the disciples, his disciples, what did Jesus do? He rebuked Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Surely Jesus knows who Satan is. He's all-knowing. Does he know that Peter's not Satan? But in this case, what is happening? Peter has the mind of Satan, wanting to stop the suffering of Jesus, wanting to stop the rejection of Jesus wanting to stop the death of Jesus because those are the things he's focused in on. And oh, we too, as we little humans, weak-minded, we want to stop the rejection. We want to stop the suffering. We want to stop the rebuking. And we'll do whatever it takes. Yell, criticize, rebuke, put suffering on other people, thinking that will end it. And calling to the crowd... Verse 34, he said to them, Peter included in this crowd, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Do you hear those words being echoed in the words of 1 Peter chapter 2? And Peter is saying the same thing. There was a time... There was a time when I said, let's stop, let's stop rebuking. Let's stop rejection. Let's stop being exiled. Let's stop suffering. But then I'm, I'm beginning to see that our only hope is in Jesus. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come into power. Remember Peter's words. And then look at this incredible moment, verse 2 of chapter 9. And after six days, six days of that conversation, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified, fearful. They saw Jesus for who he truly is. Verse 7, and a cloud overshadowed them. And an incredible moment happens. And a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. But Jesus only. When you submit this week, when you submit this week, whether it's to the emperor, to the king, to the president, whatever you want to say, to government officials, to a badge, or you submit to an earthly master, a boss, a parent, whatever the case may be, when you submit, oh, that it would be like a moment of the Mount of Transfiguration, that people would see your life entrusted in the hands of Jesus, and people would only see Jesus, no longer seeing you and your sin and your rebellion and your rejection of even Christ in a moment, but instead that they would only see Jesus. How can Peter write, submit to the emperor who's going to kill me? He can't write that if he's not seeing Jesus. And my hope is this, that in your submission this week as a sojourner, as an exile, whatever that looks like, maybe it's Philippians 2 and Philippians 2 only, having the mind of Christ and, submit and, and submitting as a servant like he, like he has, but that you would see Jesus in that. And that your eyes would be fixed upon him and him alone. So that with your eyes fixed upon him, your eyes fixed upon Jesus, Jesus may get the glory for your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for you. Thank you that we can gather in your presence because of your sacrifice. God, in a moment right now, I know that there are many in this room wrestling with how to do better, how to be better submitters, how to be better at submitting to earthly authorities, and how to be better at submitting to the emperor who are longing for, just give me some practical steps on what submission looks like. We're looking to camp out, set up a place to worship even in submission, but maybe completely missing the point. So God, in your power this morning, 
some way? Will you help all of us in this room to submit to Christ? And maybe in some supernatural way or some weird way, could we see Jesus so that we might see him for who he is and be willing to glorify him and him alone? Seeing him as Christ, as Savior, as Lord, as King, as owner of our lives, as the one who's causing rebirth in us, as the one who has all authority and who is seated next to you. All for your glory this morning, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.